Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature an interesting, thought-provoking and clinically relevant conversation to enhance your speech pathology practice. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Welcome to Speak Up. My name's Lauren and today we'll be interviewing Dr. Michelle Swift. Um, I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional lands uh, that we are on, the the Darug people. Um, Michelle, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. I'd like to start as well by acknowledging that I'm on the lands of the Ghana people and also the Paramount people um, here in South Australia. So I um, work as a senior lecturer at the University of South Australia um, at that City East campus. And I also own a private practice um, where we predominantly um, see stuttering, cluttering and voice clients. So I employ four speech pathologists and also work in it myself. Wow, sounds amazing. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about cluttering um, and I guess would you like to tell, tell us a bit more about what cluttering is and how um, it fits into fluency uh, disorders and are there any similarities to stuttering? Sure. So I guess cluttering has been viewed as sort of um, the second fluency disorder in terms of speech pathology classification for quite a while. Um, it There is, of course, a push at the moment to not include stuttering as a fluency disorder. Um, so to see stuttering as stuttering rather than a disorder of anything. Um, but in terms of traditionally stuttering and cluttering have been positioned as a fluency disorder. So things that interrupt the smooth um, forward flow of speech. Um, There are other things as well that we don't put under the fluency disorder banner in um, speech pathology that are also disruptors to fluency. So word finding difficulties, for example, we tend to put under language, but that does disrupt fluency. And that is something that I do have an issue with at times. So you might hear that on the podcast. Um, also, like non-fluent aphasia, those sort of things, we don't classify them as fluency disorders, but they do impact on speech fluency. So I guess in terms of if we're looking at stuttering and cluttering as being part of that broader fluency disorders, they differ because stuttering, the person often knows exactly what they want to say, but at a motor planning level, they're unable to get the words out. Um, Whereas in cluttering, often the person is kind of still formulating what they're going to say as they are talking. That's part of it. Um, But also the difference is with um, cluttering, the person is speaking too quickly for their own feedback system to keep up. Um, So we do have, again, just like in stuttering, uh, interruption to speech motor planning. But in this case, it's because the person's, they're talking too fast, their system can't keep up, they're not getting the feedback that they need to maybe um, change what they're saying. And so we can get speech that it sounds too fast, even if it's objectively not too fast, it will sound too fast. 
would you say that cluttering is difficult to identify? Um, is that your experience among speech pathologists um, or I guess in general? And if so, why would that be? Sure. Well, I think in terms of cluttering can, is difficult to identify, particularly when you're first starting out and also during initial assessments can be hard to pick it up. So even sometimes we will have difficulty picking it up in early sessions in our um, clinic. And the reason for that is because um, because it does link in a bit with self-monitoring. So if the person is listening um, to, so if they are aware that someone is listening to their speech, then they're likely to be a little bit more deliberate with how they speak and then you don't get as much um, cluttering actually happening. And so if you think about an initial consultation where you're there and you're asking questions and the person is um, responding or you're getting them to read a passage or you're getting them to do all sorts of things, um, they may not actually clutter um, in that time because they are very focused on speech production. And so the assessment actually um, process actually can prevent cluttering from um, appearing during those early sessions. So you might identify it more later on um, when you've got to know the person more. So it tends to appear more when they're talking to familiar listeners or talking about something that they're really passionate about. Um, so sort of forget that they're in an assessment um, sort of situation. Um, I think also, um, I didn't say this in response to the previous question, but that stuttering and cluttering often can co-occur as well. And so because of that, um, sometimes the stuttering is the more obvious thing. So we can get um, distracted, I guess, in some ways by that and then not notice um, the cluttering that is there. Um, but they interact with each other. So um, sometimes if someone is speaking too quickly for their system, then that will result in stuttering occurring. Um, or sometimes people actually kind of clutter in order to avoid stuttering. So they might um, sort of skip over sounds, skip words, um, speak really quickly to try and just sort of get it out before a block or a repetition occurs. So they can interact with each other um yeah and I guess I just wanted to ask another question um when you were talking about the feedback uh, feedback loop being affected um would you like do you find that that occurs in the auditory feedback loop um and do you see that in um those that have um hearing impairments at all so it is definitely, it's the auditory feedback loop that is being impacted. So the um, sort of, I guess, proprioception feedback loop isn't affected um, to the same um, degree and that some of the therapy that we do um, sort of foc would focus on that. Um, in terms of hearing impairment um, and cluttering, to be honest, I haven't had a lot of 
experience directly um, with that. So I would be um, probably making stuff up <laughs> if I was okay. to <laughs> um, answer that. Um, certainly, I think that the the way that that is impacted is that they're not getting the feedback auditorily that things are not coming out the way um, that they should. So I guess theoretically, if someone has a hearing impairment that's interfering with them hearing um, things, then that could result in some cluttered light speech. But that's, yeah, just me positive okay. um, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what are the behaviours speech pathologists can look for um, that would suggest uh, that I guess a person is cluttering? So you mentioned um, that I guess compensation and talking very quickly um, sometimes if there's stuttering present. Um, what are some of the other behaviours that speech pathologists can look out for? Yeah, so in terms of to get a diagnosis of cluttering, um, we use the lowest common denominator definition of cluttering. Um, there are some other definitions of cluttering out there, and I do go into a bit more detail about those in the um, clinical bite that I did last year. But in terms of the lowest common denominator definition of cluttering, there's, I guess, um, two, the, the Client must have one of these two things. They must have a speech rate that is perceptually too fast um, or jerky speech, so speech that sounds sort of like it's coming out in spurts. Um, so they have to have one of those. And then they also have to have two of the two of the following five things, which is an abnormally large amount of what would otherwise be termed normal disfluencies. So your fillers, those sort of things, um, revisions, restarts, um, over co-articulation. So this is where syllables run together too much when you um, or omission of entire words or syllables. So where, yeah, there's just entire um, sections, often short words or middle syllables for multisyllabic words that just aren't there. Abnormal pausing, so pausing in grammatically odd spots um, and abnormal stress patterns. Um, so those are the things that we're sort of listening out for and Sometimes I think when you have quite a bit of experience with cluttering, you can start to hear these things and hear that the person probably does clutter um, even in that first assessment. Um, but even if you're not hearing the full sort of range that often, they will start to speak kind of a bit quickly and it sort of sounds a little bit like this. Um, so you can kind of understand what they're saying. They might not have all of these things to the full extent, but you can tell that they um, can get a bit rushed and when they get rushed that they're losing some of that preciseness of the articulation. Um, yeah, So, but you do obviously have clients who might meet some of that criteria, but they don't meet all of it. And so then they wouldn't be diagnosed with cluttering, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they wouldn't benefit from some of the um, techniques and stuff as well. Mm. 
as well. Okay. And so um, how would you, so you mentioned the, the five, um, I guess, factors to consider and that they need to have two of them. When you look at assessing someone for cluttering, could you talk us through that assessment process? Sure. So in terms of, I guess we do the speech assessment. Um, so we are looking at um, getting a speech sample, ideally with a familiar communication partner, if we can, because as I said, more likely to get um, cluttering appearing in that more familiar environment. Um, and also off over several sessions. So we're not um, just looking at that first session to make a diagnosis, that it's something that we will need a few sessions possibly um, to rule in or out. Um, the other thing is that we want to, um, if possible, to get the person talking about a topic of interest um, and so we would be looking at doing some of this once you've done some of the more sort of formal case histories type things um, where you and built some rapport and done, so it's not actually presented as a um, assessment task per se. Um, the other thing though is that we would also like to get a reading sample. So often people who clutter also, um, they skip words when they read, don't pause at the end of um, sentences and things like that. So you can see that cluttering in the reading as well. Um, for some people as well in their writing, they will write in a similar way to how they speak. So um, have reasonably poorly formed letters and, um, yeah, um, lots of normal disfluencies and stuff that come into their writing as well. Uh, but so we would normally have, um, yeah, a speech sample, trying to make it as relaxed as possible, a reading sample, and then also possibly look at writing. Um, Depending on what you're assessing as well, sometimes you might want to count the percentage of normal disfluencies that are in um, speech um, or else, um, yeah, actually do sort of like an oromotor sort of assessment. So, um, and that is to distinguish potentially between two subtypes of stutter, um, not stuttering, cluttering, um, which are cluttering that's more semantically based. So that's lots and lots of normal disfluencies and cluttering that is more based around the speech motor issues. Um, but if you're just using the lowest common denominator definition of cluttering, you don't need to make that um, distinction. And in fact, even with treatment doesn't necessarily differ based on that distinction either, but it sometimes can be um, a useful thing, I guess, um, if you want to get a bit more of an understanding of exactly where the person's having difficulty. For those of us that are going into schools or working in schools that are um, having regular conversations with teachers, could you talk to me a little bit about the feedback you get from teachers and parents um, around, I guess, the, what they may perceive as word-finding difficulties? 
or disfluencies, you know, were finding difficulties in their writing or reading, etc. Yeah, so I guess in terms of um, so the, the reason why people tend to, I guess, come to see someone for cluttering um, is that they're being asked to repeat all the time or the teacher or the parent can't understand them. Um, sometimes the teacher or the parent will say that they stutter um, when it isn't um, actually stuttering, it's cluttering, but sometimes they or they get it just doesn't sound fluent um, type thing. Um, so I guess in terms of teacher feedback, it is often around difficulty understanding what's being said. Sometimes people will say that the person mumbles. Um, yeah, or there can be feedback around, um, yeah, potentially sort of word finding or a lot of um, this, yeah, um, Sorry, now I can't find my word. Um, a lot of these normal disfluencies coming in. So they say there's a lot of fillers. Um, they say um, uh, there's a lot of sort of non-specific language. And um, when so that's sort of the feedback that you might get from teachers. And I guess that... It's not. It is important to try and distinguish. Is there actually a word finding difficulty, or because obviously treat that a bit differently, or is this um, more so around the person um, trying to speak a bit more fast, uh, too fast for their own um, system to be able to um, keep up. Often cluttering as well doesn't necessarily get diagnosed until around sort of 10, 11, 12. Um, and that's just because that's in that early adolescence type phase is when our speech rate starts to increase. So that's the bit where maybe these kids have always spoken quite quickly, but when they're little kids as adults, we can follow what they're saying because the speech rate of a child is quite slow comparatively um, to an adult. But once they get to about 10 to 12, that's when their speech rate starts to increase. And so if they are speaking particularly quickly, then as an adult, we're going to have trouble understanding them. And in terms of the neurological processes and how we, uh, I guess, the evidence around um, treatment in cluttering, how does that differ um, to stuttering um, because of the age that we're seeing it? You mentioned it's much later. So um, what does that mean around treatment? So I guess in terms of... Uh, our brains are kind of plastic the whole way through life, but certainly they're more plastic in the younger years, as we know. So sort of in before age six, um, the most plasticity in order to be able to um, reduce the likelihood of stuttering continuing for the rest of the um, life. So in terms of Cluttering, really with treatment, it is more so around looking at helping the person to understand why there is a communication breakdown because when we're looking at cluttering, um, 
often there is a true communication breakdown as a result of the cluttering. So helping the person understand why that is um, occurring and then providing them some strategies that will reduce the likelihood of that um, occurring. So um, things like pausing every three to four words approximately, um, making sure that they move their mouth to get that proprioceptive feedback as to that they're saying all the sounds in the words. Um, so with those um, those treatment, what we are really looking at is providing the person with strategies that will help them to be understood uh, the more they use those strategies, then the more sort of second nature they become. So there is a bit of plasticity involved in that, but we're not really the treatments that we have at the moment are not really designed or aiming to, I guess, eliminate the cluttering. They're really um, there as if the person is using these strategies, then they won't have cluttering in that moment. Um, but there is likely to always be some cluttering at various points. So it is um, around that idea of actually empowering the person to understand why people sometimes don't understand them because um, often... I guess it's a bit of a myth that people who clutter don't realise that they're doing it. Um, often they won't realise they're doing it at the time, but they can, uh, they do know that people aren't quite understanding what they're saying. And so, but they don't know why, because they're not getting that auditory feedback that they're going so quickly. So um, the person who clutters thinks that they are saying, um, exactly what they've got in their head. It's just not coming out like that. So, um, yeah, so I guess the th one thing that we do do is actually um, sort of self-modelling, and but self-modelling is a bit separate to what I was going to say, but um, building the person's um, self-awareness. So a bit like in the Camperdown program where they have the fluency cycles and one of the things is to rate um, yourself and then listen back to the recording and rate yourself again with the idea of over time those ratings will get more, will get closer. And we do do that with our cluttering clients and over time they do get closer. So it is possible for the person actually to develop um, an, a better um, self, sorry, I've got self-regulation in my head, but that is not the correct word. Um, self-awareness of um, where they – sorry, that is not also the word I wanted, but um, they – The ability to self-monitor? Yeah, to self-monitor, but also yeah. I guess um, to be able to determine this is the level that I'm at at the moment and I can – I'm possibly getting a bit fast now. Um Sorry, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there and I didn't okay. really say exactly what it was that I wanted to say. Um, 
I guess what I was trying to say is that there is some, when we're looking at that ability to self-monitor and that ability to actually um, get a, a better sense of what their speech sounds like to the listener, that that actually can develop over time. So I do think there is some, there is some brain plasticity and we're developing those networks um, to get that better self-monitoring. Um, but the person is likely to always have some aspects of their speech when they're really relaxed um, where it's going to come out fast. Um, yeah, it's not going to um, disappear. Yeah. Okay. And so you, you've just kind of given us an idea of some of the general techniques and supports you provide, um, I guess, during uh, cluttering therapy um what would you say would be the duration and frequency uh i guess of your sessions given Mm -hmm. that um you know as you said there may all always be that little bit of cluttering happening yeah so in terms of um there is well there has traditionally been a bit of a treatment um hierarchy I guess in terms of cluttering treatment and I do go into a bit more detail about that in the clinical bite Um, but in terms of it does involve things like heightening uh, heightening monitoring um, and then uh, being aware of one's own so how fast your speech is, recognising communication breakdown, working on the pausing, saying all the sounds and all of those things. Um, and so I guess in terms of going, if you do sort of work through that hierarchy, then usually we would have um, we would stop at the point where the clients believe that they have the skills to manage um, and it really is very, very individual. Um, so it also depends a bit about what other things are going on for the client at the time. So in terms of teenage clients, often probably would start out with um, weekly or fortnightly sessions just to teach a few things and then we would go to sort of three to four weekly sessions because they've got school and homework and all sorts of stuff so actually giving them uh, enough time to work on the um, speech strategies and put them into place and to give um, feedback on them before we introduce um, something else. Um, I do have one client though who um, when I first started working with him I would see him weekly and I think um, he had very severe cluttering like um, probably 20-30% intelligible when he first um, started. So we, I was working with him weekly. Um, he was one where actually um, he told me, you're going too fast. I need, I need to just do this same thing for the next month or two and then we wow. go back. So he, we, um, so I think I saw him for a year weekly and then we went to fortnightly for a year and then we went 
to monthly and now we do six weekly sessions. Well, we did until I started my new job. He is now seeing another speech in our um, clinic, but he's now at the point where he can identify when he's cluttering and we've had to do quite a bit of um, work with him around um, positive belief in himself as a communicator because actually now that he can identify the cluttering when it occurs, he's feeling that he isn't speaking very well and we're having to say to him, look, we can understand you now 90% of the time. Like you've come so far, but because back when we could only understand 20%, he was unaware of that. And now that we can understand 90%, he can identify when he's having difficulty, like actually um, really building up the fact that this is actually a really positive thing that you can identify Mm. because it means you can put those strategies in place yourself. You don't have to rely on somebody telling you that they didn't understand. Um, But it can um, impact Mm. on a person's sort of sense of self, I guess. Um, So that has been um, something. So he would probably be one of the ones who's taken the longest amount of time um, because it was so severe. Um, He's also got some other things going on as well um, that impact on how quickly he can learn new skills. Um, Whereas some of the other kids were like our teens where it's, um, yeah, it's just around um, cluttering is kind of like the only thing (laughs) that's um, happening for them. I would say that usually we would see them for somewhere between sort of six months to a year and that it would be sort of three to four weekly that we'd be seeing them over that time, yeah. And with that, um, as you mentioned, with that increase in self-awareness, and confidence sometimes, you know, if you, you mentioned that sometimes they are not aware when they do initially come to you. Um, with that increase, I guess sometimes there might be a decrease in confidence. Um, yep. And because of that self-awareness, um, does that mean that there's often other professionals involved in the process? Yes, so um, we do do some communication attitude work like we would with stuttering as well um, as part of the cluttering therapy as well. But um, we would involve psychology um, if needed around, um, yeah, around um, uh, like that um, confidence um, sort of sense of self stuff. OT often as um, well um, because with your occupational therapists around building some of that self-regulation in um, interoception type um, stuff um, can be really beneficial for some of the clients. So some of our clients are um, speaking quite quickly um, possibly due to um, sensory needs and things like that. Um, So um, then having OT involved is really important. Um, I think, yeah, definitely referring on to psych or OT when 
required. Um, but also be, keeping in mind that we do also have a role in um, building people's communication confidence. So um, mm. that is important for us to be mindful of, but also include. And I think that's why with cluttering, um, we now really take the view of cluttering is an only an issue when it's actually leading to a communication breakdown. And so if, if a person is speaking kind of quickly and the listener has to listen a bit harder to follow, well, that's okay. Um, but if the person, the listener, if there's a breakdown, it could be for a, it could be on the listener's side, they weren't paying proper attention. It could be on the, um, person who's cluttering side um, because they were cluttering to a degree that even with the listener paying attention they couldn't pay attention Um, and I think in it actually in um, providing some communication partner training is really important as well that I haven't touched on um, yet but um, we don't want the person to have a sense that they're not good enough because they speak like this. And so if we start to um, see that coming um, through, it's really, really important to, yeah, to actually do some work on communication attitudes. So with my client that I was talking about before, I managed to find some recordings of him from when he started and was able to play that versus a more current recording and then he could see like how far he had come um, which was helpful um, for him um, but also just around um, normalizing some of the fact that everybody has communication breakdowns nobody is a hundred percent fluent um, in their speech um, and so actually sort of normalising that and talking about uh, about that and also how it's actually a positive that you can pick up now when maybe people might have a bit of trouble understanding you. But we're not expecting 100% fluent speech all the time or even necessarily 100% intelligible speech all the time because um, – that's not really the reality for anybody. Mm, Yeah, definitely. And when, um, when there is that decrease in um, confidence um, and you are doing, I guess, building that, um, sorry, I've lost my words now. Um, I guess when you're building, like doing those comparisons of um, before and I guess current uh, speech, uh, is there a, or is there any point um, that you would sometimes go, should we target the cluttering or should we look at social skills? Um, and obviously you mentioned the, the communication partner training as well, which we could be including in both of those, I guess, treatments. Yeah. So I think in terms of with the traditional cluttering hierarchy, um, there is sort of once you've worked on how things are said, then you would work on what is said. So in terms of how the person is structuring what they're saying, um, 
that so that what is actually being said um, is cohesive to the listener. I think in terms of one of the things that is a bit tricky in the cluttering area um, and it's something that we are still sort of trying to work out a little bit ourselves in clinical practice is when cluttering overlaps with things like autism and ADHD around whether um, our therapy is actually neurodiversity affirming and um, and so in terms of some of the things that we might have previously um, included in that um, this is sort of not how you structure um, a sentence type thing or a paragraph might actually be kind of more um, autistic ways of communicating like info dumping and things like that. And so actually being really careful around um, not saying that that's an incorrect way to communicate and I think so sometimes, yes, um, traditionally with our cluttering therapy, we would work first of all on how things are said. And then if the person is actually speaking in a way that's intelligible, but we're still having trouble following what they're saying because of what is being said, so the language side of things, then we would work on that. Um, And... I guess it is, um, again, sort of looking at um, is this necessarily neuroaffirming um, something that we're still sort of trying to get our head around a little bit. Um, same with social um, skills training around what is um, sort of information that's useful for someone to know um, that of what the others might be expecting, but also around how to advocate for themselves that actually this isn't my preferred way to interact. Um, and also um, it would be helpful for you to, yeah, give me the time to actually say what I want to say without you jumping in all the time. Yeah, yeah and I think um, working in, um, I guess, the neurodiverse community uh, over the past eight years, that's certainly a struggle I've had um, working with those that stutter or clutter, um, yeah, and and have multiple diagnoses um, because I feel, feel like it's a little bit of a loop um, around, you know, um, I guess, you know, how do we approach it? Yep, and so I think that's why it can be useful um, Yeah, if we get the OTs on board to actually sometimes um, the person is speaking really quickly because of, yeah, a sensory need. So if they have those fidgets and things, um, that can then help them to be able to slow their rate Um a little bit and uh, because these strategies that we are putting in place are cognitive strategies like they're having to think to do these things um, and if they're at a point where actually more the emotional brain is sort of controlling what's happening then they're not going to be able to put these um, strategies in place so we do need to be mindful of that and also mindful of how we frame these things that this isn't a right way to do things in a wrong way, um, that these are just tools 
that they can choose to use or choose not to use, but also advocating for the listener to pay attention (laughs) Um, because often um, the listener is distracted as well. And if the person is cluttering even mildly, a distracted listener won't be able to follow what's being Mm. said. Um, I did what Eleanor Brasted, who presented the clinical bite with me, um, did also give me a suggestion around um, other professionals. um, And she said um, that from a clinical perspective, that many people who clutter often exhibit a great deal of frustration and shame around communication breakdowns and a history of being told to slow down and repeat themselves. Um, And so in those instances, a psychologist to assist with the psychosocial aspects of cluttering um, and also self-awareness and mindfulness training strategies could be helpful. Um, So I wanted to just say that... um, Those are Eleanor's words. Um, And also connecting people in with social media networks and groups um, that are part of um, that around cluttering is also a really vital part of the intervention. And I think that's part of that having a a good sense of self like that. It's not just me and... um, yeah, here are a whole lot of successful people who also clutter. Um, yeah. So it sounds like the intervention that you've described um, for us is really holistic. Um, and I guess what are, what are the evidence do we have about effective intervention? And I think you've touched on this a little bit around there's, there's so much more to still know and you've talked about the hierarchy um, but can you tell us a little bit more about the evidence? Yeah. So I guess the evidence for cluttering treatment is um, less than it is for various other treatments um, in speech pathology because it has been sort of under-researched. Um, most of the um, evidence that we have um, is in um, single-case designs or um small group um, treatments. So there aren't any like randomised control trials or anything like that in cluttering treatment, but there um, there is, I guess, some lower level research evidence into these strategies um, and techniques there. Last year, yeah, there was this um, treatment research where they actually use um, visual biofeedback um, for essentially like a busy pitch type thing I think where they the person could then see moments of cluttering and um, and use that to then reduce um, cluttering in future um, and that was found to be quite successful again that was just small group um, work and we also I guess have as well some research it's kind of I guess fits in more anecdotal but um, research looking at people in the cluttering community around what strategies they're using that are helpful Um, and they are using things like pausing and making sure they sell the sounds and so all these sort of things in the treatment hierarchy are things that people with cluttering are using and find helpful to use. But certainly it is an area where I guess um, 
there could be and should be more of research into it, yeah. And I imagine given you mentioned that cluttering um, can be difficult to identify for the person and sometimes for speech pathologists as well, um, that it'd be really difficult to recruit for something like that in terms of a randomised control trial. Yeah, I think it is... uh, I think the thing is it has actually been kind of a bit overlooked just generally. Um, There is um, a a thought that actually probably um, a reasonable proportion of our fluency caseloads actually would clutter or clutter and stutter, but only probably about sort of 15% pure cluttering so and then you've got another 30 percent or so that stutter and clutter so if you're looking at your randomized control trials and things if you're wanting to make it just pure cluttering and then you've got the other thing as well that often with randomized control trials they like to exclude all other diagnoses and so um if you're then excluding autism and adhd and dyspraxia and down syndrome and um like uh i don't know actually how many people would fit that sort of pure cluttering um group um so and i mean that's then but if that's the reality then maybe a randomized control trial shouldn't exclude all of those (laughs) Yeah, um, things, but it obviously just makes it a little bit more difficult to interpret the findings then. Of course. And I guess to finish up, are there funding schemes that people who clutter can access for intervention or support? So I guess in terms of the clients that we see, um, if they are being supported by funding schemes, then most of them would be NDIS supported, but it's not like cluttering isn't the diagnosis that they've got the NDIS Mm. funding for. They've got it for something else and the cluttering links in with that. Um, So as I said, potentially Down syndrome um, is um, one or also um, autism. But as I said, we have to be careful around that. Um, Well, I mean, we should really be careful about our messaging (laughs) just generally, I think, in Mm -hmm. being affirming. Um, But so you will get cluttering clients who are coming um, with NDIS funding potentially. Um, But in terms of some of our clients would also potentially have the Medicare chronic disease management plans or um, previously known as the enhanced primary care plans. So um, some of our clients who clutter can get access through that. Again, um, for those plans, they have to have sort of something else going on as well, Um, need to be seeing three um, professionals. So um, there isn't, I guess, something that is... um, there for people who just clutter um yeah really they can access some of these other schemes if they've got other things happening 
as well. But that said, that often having a psych or an OT involved can be really helpful as well. So, um, yeah, your Medicare CDM plan, um, sometimes they might be, maybe they've got a mental health care plan for OT or psych and then they're using the Medicare CDM plan as well. Yeah. So um, I think I will send through a few things for the show notes as well. So some links to resources and things. Um, in the clinical bite that Eleanor and I did, we have, um, well, Eleanor has actually gone through quite a few examples of how to deliver therapy um, and go into a little bit more detail around some of the research and um, yeah, diagnosis of cluttering in that as well so um, and even um, some access to the visual reinforcement um, study that you mentioned that would be great yep yep so I'll also put in the show notes um, the reference list um, which was um, from our clinical bite right thanks Michelle thank you so much for your time and everything you've enlightened us on cluttering no worries thank you for having me We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for listening and bye for now.